Well, good morning, and this is Andy C. Luter, and I want to welcome you to the weekly clergy roundtable. I am joined by several clerics from around the country. We have a robust, even an exciting discussion that we're going to have today. And uh, I am joined by uh, several of our regular faces. I'm so delighted we have a new face and a fresh voice that is joining us today. And so um, we're anxious to include her in our conversation. I was hoping that Archbishop Goffin had not yet disappeared. I do know that he has a busy schedule this morning, but uh, I wanted him to say hello to us. Well, let's start in North Carolina, and then we'll make our way around the country. Good morning. I'm Archbishop Anthony Slater, uh, the senior pastor of Tehillah Church Ministries and also the presiding prelate of Tehillah International Fellowship. And I'm excited about being here this morning. Thank you, Archbishop. We're happy to have you. Uh, let's bounce to Buffalo. Grace and peace. Um, shalom to one and all. I am Bishop Jeffrey Borns, pastor of the Love Alive Fellowship Full Gospel Baptist Church. And we are so honored to be here with my colleagues. And as I indicated to you at the outset of our program today, we do have a fresh face and a fresh voice that is sharing with us. And I'm going to yield because this actually, this person is actually being sponsored by Bishop Jeffrey Bowens. And so I'm going to let him have the honors of doing the official welcome and introduction of our, uh, our newest participant in the weekly clergy roundtable. Praise the Lord. God bless. We are just so honored to have with us one of God's uh, dear servants of the Lord, all the way from Iowa. Um, I have been walking with her in the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship for a number of years. And then we also walked in the, uh, the intensive with um, Bishop Luter and Archbishop Goffin. And she has been a tremendous woman of God. And um, recently she has been walking with me and the one in unity spirit and um i thank god for her and she's gonna come and she's just gonna be a blessing to everyone that um, have an ear to hear so i introduce to you all um bishop helen singster she will come in her own way and give us greetings god bless you i'm just happy to be here this morning this is the day that the lord has made and we're going to rejoice and be glad in. and i bring you greetings from cornelia ministry Full Gospel Baptist Church in Waterloo, Iowa. And I'm just excited about what the Lord has to, for us and for the church. Glad to be with my brethren this morning. Excellent, and we are happy to uh, have you, Bishop. Bishop has been a, a student of mine, a colleague uh, in the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship I've known for 15 years. She leads the state of uh, Iowa for our Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship. And so we're just delighted, I'm just so happy, elated to uh, welcome her to our weekly conversation. I know that she's been following us for quite some time. And so now she gets to add her voice to the conversations that she's been listening at, listening to and observing uh, for quite a period of time. Uh, one of the reasons that I was hopeful that Archbishop Goffin, and we do know that he has an extremely busy schedule today, but uh, I wanted to acknowledge him and do a shout out to him because uh, not too terribly long ago, he and I combined, pooled our resources and our intellect together to produce an online course that reviewed the Protestant Reformation. It was actually entitled An Overview of the Protestant Reformation. And what grew out of that momentous uh, experience from 1517 to 1531 was the launching and the birthing of a number of different uh, well-known and what is now mainstream uh, denominations. The Lutheran Church came out of that movement. The Reformation Church, the Reformed Church came out of that Reformation. The Anglican Church came out of that Reformation. Uh, the Western Church, as an extension, came out of that Reformation. The Episcopal Church came out of that uh, Reformation. And uh, so it was a time, 1517 to 1531, was a time that gave birth to many new movements. Uh, I compare and parallel that with where we are today because like the Protestant Reformation, it seems that here of late, uh, there has been a birthing, a, a, a neo, I, I like to refer to it as a neo-reformation. 
And there has been a birthing of movements, campaigns, reformations uh, that equal and rival what we saw in the 16th century. Now, we have uh, with us today Archbishop Anthony Slater. He is the um, Episcopate of a Reformation. And I want to talk to him about the organizing of that Reformation. And then we have Bishop Jeffrey Bowens, who is here of late, organized a relatively new Reformation that Bishop Seenster is a part of. And so it seems to me that we're seeing almost a repeat of history, that alongside of the Martin Luthers, the John Calvin, the Hulrich Zwinglis, the Henry VIII, um, uh, and the other iconic personalities of the Protestant Reformation, there are coming forward individuals who are repeating that behavior and giving to the body of Christ new expressions, new manifestations. So let me come to you. Let me acknowledge uh, Pastor Keith Hayward, who has just joined us. Say hello to us, Pastor. All right, Adam, on now, yeah. Say hello to us, Pastor. Good morning, grace and peace. Be multiplied to you, my brothers and my sister Bishop. Good to be with you this morning. I am Pastor Keith Hayward, the pastor of an amazing congregation known as Bethel Family Church here in Copac, New York. All righty. And so again, friends, let me kind of go back and repeat and revisit what I'm talking about today, that between 1517 and 1531, we have the launching and the birth of the Protestant Reformation. Now, over the next 75, 80 years from that 1517 date, there was the launching, the birthing of many new reformations that eventually became denominations themselves. And I'm comparing that with where we have been in the last uh, three to 10 years uh, with the birthing of campaigns and reformations and uh, movements and uh, things of that sort. And so I was starting with you, Archbishop. Won't you give us a bit of a background of uh, Tehillah Ministries, uh, how the Lord put this on your heart, uh, what was your motive, what was your incentive, and then I'm going to go to um, Bishop Bowens to do the same thing, and then I'm going to bounce back for a, for a historical perspective because Pastor Haywood is part of a Reformation that has its beginning and its roots in the 18th century. So uh, Wesleyanism or the Methodist Church does not go back to the 16th century, it's not that early, but it's not as recent as the 20th century. And so I think he could give us an interesting historical perspective. And then with the permission of Pastor Haywood and the permission of uh, uh, Archbishop Slater, I want to explore the background and the historicity of the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship from Bishop Sinster and Bishop Bowens, who began with blue shirts. I remember both yes. of them when they were wearing blue shirts at the annual conference in July. And I'll explain that a bit further when I get to that portion of the conversation. Uh, Archbishop Slater. Thank you so much, uh, Bishop Luna. Uh, the Lord has blessed us um, to be dealing with ministry. I remember going, my first experience in Bible college was going to the Pilgrim uh, Institute under Archbishop Roy E. Brown in Brooklyn. And in process of doing that, um, I was watching a broadcast in uh, 1979. And, and then uh, Archbishop, at that time, Archbishop Roy E. Brown and Archbishop Wilbert McKinley was in a discussion talking about the, uh, the expressions of the seven Hebrew words. And one of the words came out, it was Tehillah. And that thing, it was such a, a blow to me. I knew I had to do something with Tehillah. And so in the process, going forward quickly, um, in the process of that, going to school with Tehillah in my mind, I even had an Amway, my um, Amway cult name was Tehillah Unlimited. So I knew I had to do something. So coming to North Carolina in 1889 and setting up and sitting under another gentleman um, by the name of Apostle Walter Barber, who, who began to shave off some things within my life as pastoring in the South, which is totally different than pastoring in the North is a whole nother dynamic. He had to kill me, beat me up, and begin to start dealing with teaching me tack and diplomacy. Uh, and which um, at that time and later on, 
And being with his fellowship, the Lord led me to start a church in the same city as he was. And now this is a small 159,000 uh, people in the whole county. And, and to this day, I want to say that I have the testimony that I have taken not one person from his church. There has not been anyone. And the Lord has blessed me with that. Him and I are in good relationship. He's still one of my mentors. And the process of that, being a part of that, and Bishop Goffin had been in my life the whole time, but we connected after I left. And we also, he began to show me. I was a part of his fellowship. But there were some things that I began to have a conviction of my own. Some of the, uh, the gentlemen that loved Bishop Goffin really did not love me because of my, my idea of what I saw ministry as, as a, as a body. So at that point, I went to Bishop Goffin, had his blessing. I started to heal international fellowship. My intent was to have a fellowship that I did not have to deal with the politics that the church had em embraced such as, such as the voting, such as uh, favoritism, such as um, where we just look at the scripture rather than just looking at the scripture and the spirit. Uh, what, watching God, watching leaders be able to empower themselves. Uh, the big I and little U's was beginning to erase. So I asked God to allow me to have a fellowship where I have people of like minds producing like things according to the scripture. Um, even in, in, in this political atmosphere where we'll take, I'm going to vote uh, with my biblical values. I'm going to look at what the text says and look at the policies. How are we doing this? And so that has to be inclusive on what we're doing. So in this hour, I believe that a fellowship needs to begin to start looking at the rescuers, rescuing the rescuers, because the pastors are in trouble. We, 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 we know history. We're learning history. We know that. But how do I pastor in a pandemic? How do I pastor a generation that does not understand authority? Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, so this is where my heart has been. This is where I'm going and, and helping to build the body of Christ. The danger, going back to history, is when we split, as from the Protestant and the Catholic Church, we've kept splitting. And that's bringing a divide even within uh, in the Protestant Church we are so divided as the body of Christ. We have to make a stand and learn to come back together. Somehow or another, we're going to have to come back. And the only way I see that, because we're going to always have an issue with doctrine, is in our worship. Oh, that is very, very interesting. Uh, and the proliferation of, um, of division, as you refer to it. Uh, and one of the things that I want to suggest is that in the 16th century, Individuals like John Calvin and Martin Luther and John Knox, they felt an enlightenment. They felt, they felt an enlightenment. They felt a, uh, an insight on uh, various perspectives, whether they were doctrinal or otherwise. And so Bishop Bowens, I'm coming to you because I see a similar pattern where individuals like yourself, like Archbishop Slater, have been gifted with a certain insight an illumination that is distinct, somewhat unique, different than what the mainstream may be doing. And it, of course, leads you uh, to move in a particular kind of way. Can you talk to us about your reformation, your fellowship, and uh, what was the glow? What was the incentive? What was the spark that ignited this move on your, on your part? Thank you so much, um, Bishop. I appreciate the opportunity to share that. Um, and when I look back in retrospect, I think that uh, every time that I have made any kind of major move um, in the uh, kingdom of God, whether it's going into ministry, whether it's being a part of the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship, whether it was to move and acquire a church facility or to set aside sons and daughters in the ministry, it seems like I always have received a prompting from the Holy Spirit. I always have received a prompting, a unction um, from the Lord in vision and dreams. Visions and dreams are yet a reality. And God speaks through visions and dreams. He says that he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh 
and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams and see visions. Nonetheless, um, the Lord came to me maybe about last year or about a year and a half, year and a half ago to, um, to bring unity to the body of Christ. And he gave me a scripture out of the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter and the third verse. And I saw in this vision about a good, it was about a good hundred pastors gathered around and I was leading and I saw one or two in my, uh, <clears throat> in my uh, neck of the woods here in Buffalo area. They came from behind poles. And they just wanted to be a part of a uh, fellowship of, of unity. And um, so I uh, proceeded to establish that. And lo and behold, um, the Lord gave me a scripture to affirm it. He says, endeavor to keep the unity, of the spirit in the bond of peace, directly, explicitly. Now I have known that scripture, but it of course meant so much more to me. Right after that, I had the privilege of going to Israel and um, I went to Israel with about 30 pastors across the country. And uh, they were from every state in the union almost, practically. And for some reason, um, while we were down in uh, Mecca and uh, we were in the, near the, the Dead Sea Scroll, for whatever reason, um, they took a vote that they wanted to continue to be in fellowship and continue to be in unity. And the lot apparently fell on me um, for whatever reason, um, perhaps because I was contending against some of the, uh, the uh, politics that was going on as Archbishop Slater had just mentioned, the politics in the church and I had spoke up against something that was transpiring there and they subsequently decided that they wanted me to um, be the facilitator. So uh, here I am, um, here I am um, establishing a new fellowship. I'm reaching out to brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, I like the way you uh, begin this, uh, Bishop, because we see that the church have often gone through an evolution, have often gone through a transformation and change. And, um, you know, sometimes it caused separation, sometimes it caused division, but it's something that apparently to me that is on the Lord's heart. You know, when we look at the um, Protestant Reformation, when we look at Martin Luther, and then Martin Luther had his portion that he brought to the table, then we look at John Calvin, he brought his portion, then we look at people like George Fox, who was a Quaker, and he brought his uh, component um, to the table. Um, then you have the uh, father of pietyism, um, who was out, off from Martin Luther, uh, <clears throat> by the name of, uh, I believe his name was uh, Jacob. And um, so you have a number of reformations that have come out, but each one of them was to move the ball forward. Each one of them was to bring something into the body of Christ that would please the Lord within um, um, the church. And so I think that that's the key that we um, maintain a certain level of community and unity um, in the body of Christ and um, so that God can get the glory and the glory would not go to man. Ah, okay, okay. Bishop Sainster, again, welcome to uh, our conversation and our dialogue, and uh, we're delighted to uh, have you. And uh, you made a decision to unite with Bishop Bowens and uh, to join him in this quest, in this initiative. And uh, I'm anxious to hear from your perspective, uh, what was it that you heard that, um, that intrigued you enough uh, to kind of make a shift uh, your ministry name is actually Kononia, which is Greek for fellowship. And so you're obviously in the company and uh, philosophically, there is some compatibility here. Uh, I'm going to talk to you and Bishop Bowens about your, your, your roots and your history with the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship in a few moments. But I'm anxious to hear 
uh, your contribution and your adding yourself to this fellowship that Bishop Bowens has launched. Okay. <clears throat> As you said, koinonia means authentic fellowship through um, the Greek word. And I've always been, I guess, kind of an oddball, but I believe that the cross should not make us indifferent, but it should make us um, become more submissive. And I have been one that believed that unity, even though we are um, male, female, and maybe come from different reformations, there ought to be a unity in the body of Christ. And because of that, I felt that this was a place that I could add and be a part to um, actually um, give credence to what unity really means. Because a lot of times we, uh, we believe that unity is, we are to just be little clones. <laughs> and I don't think that. I think about, um, I guess I'm a, my focus has always been on love and joy and peace, those type of virtues. But I also have a strong background in spiritual formation. And I, my background has always been and uh, prayer and worship and instruction, you know, and I believe that when Bishop Bowens talked to me, I felt that this was something that I was always doing. And I, really, this is really what kind of drew me to the full gospel, even though we're not going to talk about that at this time, um, that uh, people respected your gifts that, and what you brought to the table. And and, and, and you were able to participate in some type of um, intentional community and, and live the faith that you have, have um, been a part of your background. <laughs> I'm a little nervous this morning, but um, so I believe that unity, uh, the body of Christ ought not to be so different. I don't care if it's, um, if we are supposed to be the body of Christ, and even though, you know, some may be the hand, some may be the foot, there ought to be something that uh, brings us together. And see, I don't see that unity. When I look at now and we say that we are the church or the body of Christ, it's so disjointed. It's not unified. And I believe there is some that we as people of God need to go back and bring back what the intentional unity means he says you know we're one in faith we're one in him and we need to bring that back whether that's uh our process my uh the awareness and of that and the theological reflection we need to bring those things back to be unified um there's just some things i think about the book of michael and different ones there's some things that we are unified in and it should not change it should not change if we're um, black, white, or male or female, because we are supposed to be one in the spirit. And so I, that's really why I felt interested in that, because I know that uh, Bishop Boyce, there was uh, intentional process and, and God had, and I do also, God uh, speaks to me in, through dreams and, and I am just believe that this is what it's supposed to be. And I'm willing to work with that reformation as much as I can. Amen, amen, thank you. Uh, Pastor Haywood, uh, the last two speakers have been 20th century reformations. And so they've been relatively recent as it, as it relates to the corridors of um, church history. And yet there uh, seemingly has always been pluralism and diversity of thought within most religious movements. If you look at the Jewish community, uh, they're not monolithic. There are various branches of uh, the Jewish witness. It includes Orthodox, it includes conservative, it uh, includes reform. When we look at the Roman Catholic Church, and even though um, we point to our own denominationalism as being distinct from the Roman Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, they do have religious orders. And so even all of Roman Catholicism is not monolithic. You have Benedictine priests, you have Carmelite priests, you have Jesuit priests, and there are different religious orders and different expressions even within uh, that faith community. Now, you are a part of what began as a reformation, as initially a fellowship. Uh, it was a, a benevolent society. Uh, African Methodism was a benevolent society, 
And from the perspective of where we are today, we sometimes cringe, we sometimes withdraw over the idea of Christianity wearing a ethnic label. And yet I am reminded that especially in the beginning of Protestantism, uh, King Henry started an English church. Uh, Martin Luther launched a German church. Uh, the Huguenots launched a French church. And so it is historically authentic and credible that there be an African church because the church itself has had a history of identifying itself along racial or ethnic lines. Now, what began as a movement in the 18th century has eventuated now into a full-blown denomination. Can you kind of represent the sentiments of a Richard Allen and walk us through that process, Pastor? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Bishop. I've enjoyed the dialogue from uh, my, my colleagues. I want to begin by saying Healing Church Ministry is alive well, and uh, I'm, a, I'm, an, I, I'm a distant member <laughs> of the Healing Church Ministry, and I'm also um, a watcher of um, Bishop Bowens and what he's putting together. Um, so I appreciate my, my brothers and the steps that they've taken the thing about Tehillah Church Ministry is built on worship and, and faith. And I'm, and I'm grateful because I've, I've seen uh, how God has moved with uh, Bishop Archbishop Slater and Bishop Bowens. But the AME Church first grew out of the Free African Society. And that's that's a benevolent piece that, that Bishop Luther was talking about. So as Richard Allen and Absalom Jones, they established a uh, this society in Philadelphia in 1787 when they left St. George Methodist Episcopal Church because of discrimination. And, and, and what's interesting is that some of the worshipers were slaves of uh, the slave masters worship at the same church at the same time. So Allen and Jones were accepted into this denomination, but only to the blacks. They were allowed to, to preach to groups of, of, of blacks and in addition to that, it, they started they started spin off to different groups during the week, where they meet in the evening. But what's interesting, the discrimination was not just in worship, uh, but it's also in the worship space, where the slaves were relegated to the balcony. What's interesting is when I used to go to movies as a child, I always wanted to sit in the balcony because you got a better view. And what the white folk didn't realize was the balcony still was the better view. And, <laughs> It was, it was prayer time, and they're at the altar, and they're praying, and one of the ushers tapped Absalom Jones on his shoulder and said to, said to him, you can't pray here no longer. And Alan responded and said, allow us to finish praying, and when we finish praying, we'll trouble you no more. What's interesting is the folk at the altar all left, but there were some folk who were still on the balcony that, that, that decided to, to remain. So Alan led a small group out of the church that formed Bethel AME Church in 1793. And what's interesting now, in 1794, Bethel was dedicated uh, in Philadelphia. They first bought a blacksmith shop and moved it to the current location where it's located right now, 6th and Lombard in Philadelphia. With all of this going on, the yellow fever popped up. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And, 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 and what's interesting is, now here it is, Free African Society now becomes a denomination, but now it's given back. To, to those who discriminated against them, and the members will walk through the streets of Philadelphia with wheelbarrows, picking up the dead, uh, those who died from, from the yellow fever. So in this, in, this, in this order in which we sit today in labeling denominations, the AME Church has become one of the, the leading uh, mainline denominations, if we can use that phrase, with the AME Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Episcopal Church, the United Methodist Church, uh, so here we are part of, of this union, and we have become sister now to the United Methodist Church, where my credentials can be used also and accepted fully in the United Methodist Church. Here's a problem. As we grew, our, our growth was so rapid that because, because Black Methodists across mainline and main, main cities across America, these communities started to pop up. And racism was at really at, at, what, at, at its height during this period where black churches were burned, which we don't talk about that in history. Back there in 1816, 
We had some black churches, AME churches burned in the South because of racism. But what's interesting here, we started this denomination with eight pastors and five churches. It's how the AME church began. So in 1846, it grew from 176 pastors to 296 churches. The, the growth was rapid because the in, in our society, the blacks saw this as this might escape to some sense of freedom. If I don't have freedom completely, it is like a worship free. Mm. So the, the growth was rapid that by, by um, 1856, we had 20,000 members. So the, the growth was rapid. In 2010, we have churches all across this globe, this globe. We have churches in India, Africa, through the Caribbean, United States, Canada, and Europe. Matter of fact, we took in 156 members at one time in India. And what was interesting is the folks in India were saying, how are we going to have an African Methodist Episcopal Church being established in India? The response was from a Bishop Bryant, you got a Catholic church here. If you got a Catholic church here, why can't we have an African and Methodist Episcopal church here? And even the folk in India, under some strain, uh, uh, also felt a sense of freedom in worship. Here's the problem when we, we come to mainline denominations. We get into the political structure, we get into this hierarchical structure, we get in this jockeying for position structure, and we get, we get into the place where people want to be seen and I believe when we get to that place, we forget our formation. Uh, um, Bishop, thank you for saying for sharing that. We forget our formation. Whenever a denomination abandons its theology, we're going to have major problems. And I and I believe this is where we're going in the Amy Church. So our, we we are led by our bishops, our bishops council. We have twenty Episcopal districts that cover us worldwide. Uh, when you're a bishop in the AME Church, you're a bishop for life. When you become a bishop in the AME Church, you, you become elected by the delegates of the General Conference. But our problem that we've made in this denomination is that we've placed our bishops in a place of superiority, where we've given them this absolutism uh, mindset. And they have done an excellent job conducting the affairs of the church, but when we make them as powerful as they are, and they can be, it becomes an issue. And, and uh, what Bishop Sinister had mentioned, and what Bishop, uh, uh, Bishop Bowens had talked about, now the political structure becomes even more important than our theology. And that becomes a major issue. And the thing I love about uh, the teachings of my brothers is what I'm hearing from them is, it's, we have to worship the Lord by faith. Instead of, when we get to the meeting, Who's going to be that? Who's going to be in charge of this? Who's going to run this program? Who's going to run this committee? And it becomes an issue. So I want to be very transparent. My predecessors were all on certain committees in the New York Conference. Here I come, and I am ostracized. And I ask the question: Well, if my colleagues were on these committees, and Beth was doing the best in his history right now, how come I'm not on a committee? So I'm not playing no politics. I'm not going to jockey for position because I, I, I often in my mind go back to what Jesus said to the Father. He said, Father, the same power which you gave me, I want to give to them. He didn't say the same committee you gave me, I want to give it to them. He said the same power I, you gave to me, I want to give it to my children. And that's what, that's what the thing that holds me in, 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 with my faith. So in mainline denomination, we run the risk of politicizing, and develop and shaping our church to fish, uh, fit our own agendas instead of what our original intent was. So Richard Allen wanted us to be free and not to play with political games. And here's a, that's the problem we have. If we get to the point now where we're jockeying and we miss out on what the intent of the Lord is, what the intent is of our founding fathers, and we go awry and we have the problem we have today where we have a church that's on hospices. Ah. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, at the outset of our conversation today, I mentioned that uh, I wanted to uh, revisit the historical roots of Bishop Bowens and uh, Bishop Sister. And I said, uh, almost jokingly, that uh, I've been around long enough, there's enough gray hair or little hair that's left on my head that I can remember when they were part of uh, the, the Blue Shirt Gang. Uh, 
of the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship. And what I was making reference to is that in our earliest years, there was an adoption of a structure uh, that, that, that ran from our presiding bishop, second and third presiding bishops, bishops council. And then from there, we had state overseers. And state overseers were supported and uh, undergirded by district overseers. And district overseers were actual overseers in the most local context. They, they could be compared to uh, what Baptists recognize as uh, moderators, district moderators. And um, uh, district overseers were just that. They were the equivalent of district moderators. And they were distinguished in the full gospel Baptist fellowship with the wearing of a blue shirt. And so state overseers, and this is going all the way back to the beginning, state overseers um, wore red shirts, district overseers wore uh, blue shirts. And so the leadership of um, now Bishop Singster and now Bishop Bowens began uh, in a localized level with them leading churches in uh, their local area. So let me come back to you, Bishop Bowens, and have you talk about what and how your experiences in the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship and your function as a district overseer, how did that contribute and influence what it is that you're doing now? Thank you so much. Um, I was just, uh, thank you uh, for sharing and I'm um, certainly thank uh, Pastor Hayward for sharing his thoughts as well. When I look back in retrospect um, on the Full Gospel Baptist Church, one of the things that I take, take in consideration is that I wanted to be a part of a church body. For whatever reason, I wanted to be a part of a church body. And uh, I had reached out to the Church of God in Christ. I was real young in ministry. This is around 1994, 93. And um, I had reached out to the Church of God in Christ, and it, it was just something about them that did not sit right with my spirit um, as far as being isolated and segregated. So that was, I didn't go in that direction. Then I reached out to the uh, um, Baptist, traditional Baptist church and um, the progressive Baptist church, and um, things did not flow too well in that area. But I was just looking for some covering. My uh, spiritual father had passed on, had gone on to be with the Lord. And um, so I wanted to be connected in some way. And um, lo and behold, the Lord raised up Bishop Paul S. Morton, extraordinary man with an extraordinary spirit. And um, lo and behold, um, I had a dream once again, had a dream four nights straight to connect with Bishop Paul S. Morton. And who was the person that I reached out to? None other than Bishop Andy C. Luter. And Bishop Andy C. Luter and Bishop Norton came to Buffalo, New York um, around 1994 and um, brought us into the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship. I'm telling you, the, this, this fellowship was so on fire. I mean, the passion, the zeal, the whole city was turned upside down um, here in this area, in the Buffalo area. We had expanded to about 15 pastors. We had pastors in Niagara Falls, um, Rochester, Syracuse, and we even had um, some pastors over in Ohio. So we had expanded greatly here in the Buffalo area. And that was such a tremendous experience of being a part of a fellowship of that magnitude. And um, it left such a, uh, a remarkable uh, mark on me. And um, after, after a season, and I believe that um, different people do have their seasons, they do have their time for whatever reason, um, there's a shift. And um, we have to evaluate, we have to move as the Lord desire for us to move. I'm, I'm thinking about the Apostle Paul and how that he had uh, aspirations to go up to Europe and, and to convert some Christians up in there. And the Holy Spirit forbid him not. He had to go down to Asia and he saw in a vision which says, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so 
Um, I think that we have to definitely wait on the Lord in the direction that we are going. Um, unfortunately, um, I will always be um, have an intimacy and a fellowship and a communion with the Poor Gospel Baptist Church because um, of apostolic fathers that I learned about. I learned so much about um, praise and worship, about women in ministry, about uh, it opened up my understanding, it opened up my knowledge, and it expanded. And it was based upon foundational scripture, or as Pastor Hayward was saying, Hayward was saying theology. It was based upon foundational scripture. It wasn't someone just coming up um, in their own mind, like in the Catholic Church, um, Pius IX um, wants to make Mary um, the um, <clears throat> uh, cause Mary to be worshipped and to be celebrated, and uh, as uh, and being and then also becoming infallible. Uh, um, those kind of things, you know, wasn't done it by one person. A council came together and um, decided at the Full Gospel Baptist Church, and so I appreciate that. Um, but it has led me, and God apparently for me didn't want me to just allow all of that insight, that knowledge, that wisdom that I had gathered from the full gospel to um, fall to the ground. He desired for me to take that information and utilize it further to bring the body of Christ together. I have a heart for pastors, always have had a heart for pastors and helping them get established, to help them feel that they have somebody to network with and to fellowship with. And so these are some of the things that the Full Gospel Baptist Church has helped me with. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you. You've really taken me down uh, memory lane with that. Uh, Bishop Seenster, uh, you, you were one of the uh, founding members uh, so to speak, of the full gospel Baptist Church Other For the life of me, I've been trying to remember the name of the gentleman who was the first state overseer of Iowa. I think he was out of Dubuque, Iowa. And I know that you have been with us since the very beginning. I refer to you as a part of the Blue Shirt Gang because you were, I believe, either the first or one of the first district overseers for the state of uh, Iowa. You have since then been elevated to state overseer in uh, Iowa. And... Uh, you are now working uh, very, very closely with uh, Bishop Bowen. So talk to us about the impact and the influence of the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship uh, has had on you over the years and how that has influenced or impacted uh, the kind of Episcopal role that you find yourself involved in now. Yes. Um, I have to go back to when I was part of the National Baptist. Um, well, as a woman? As a woman? <laughs> Yes, and I was a state officer until I accepted my calling and was like an ordained the same place that I would give my annual address from I could no longer stand in that pulpit because now I was a, a licensed or ordained minister and but I first they said well you'll have to go with the men and I had no problem with that because I grew up with five brothers and I was not intimidated by that but there was a constant struggle because of my spirituality, things that I believed the scripture was saying, and that was not what was being practiced. I love my National Baptist brothers and sisters, and since then, we've come even become closer. But um, the Lord spoke to me and in the church that I was in, um, and he's said, show them Jesus. And I couldn't understand what he was saying there. So I went to my pastor who had, and he was at that time was about to leave and, and go to another state. And so I guess the Lord was telling me that you need to step forward. I was comfortable just being an associate and, and helping. I've always been one that would be there to support others. And, but I did step out on faith and I was I pitched a tent in the back of my restaurant and and um, that's how Koinonia got started. And there were people from all walks of life that came in. But that time also um, Bishop Dillard, who had just came a part of Full Gospel, was in town for a 
um, home going. And so he and a group came over to the tent and they says, we want you to be a part of full gospel. Not only do we want you, but we need you. And, and that was kind of a plus because a lot of times people will not express that, you know, they, but anyhow, I became a part of full gospel. I started as just a, a pastor and then a state um, district overseer, then a state overseer. But full gospel has, they believed in what I believed in. And I've never felt that God was divided on, and I, I really appreciate and I honor Bishop Morton because of his, his stance on women in the ministry and the right to choose. And I, before I came to Full Gospel, I, we, we exercised all the gifts and I have male and female ministers, male and female deacons. And, and because I knew what the word of God was really saying, I was always somewhat in conflict with other denominations because there was a division. So I've always, and then, yes, I was probably the first state, I was the first uh, state overseer for women, but also district overseer for women. Um, and I never felt intimidated by that. And we had um, just, I felt very at home because uh, when I received the gifts of tongues, it was in the National Baptist Church, you know, but, <laughs> but uh, one of the things that amazed me. I knew Bishop Morton. I didn't know it was the same person when I was in National Baptist because he always preached the midnight late services. And I used to play his tape in my car every day on Grasshopper Faith. And I didn't know until the year that um, Bishop Dillard was being consecrated in Florida and I helped put on some of his garments that it was the same person. <laughs> and uh, and Bishop Luter, you've been a part of my journey because I did become a part, I think, a, a lot of trainings under you with the bishop trainings and also with our Episcopal studies, which I completed that some time ago, uh, the doctoral program. But I will always cherish what I gained with uh, full gospel because it was true to the scriptures, you know, and uh, even though I will not say everyone agrees, but I always like the challenge. <laughs> and uh, I think it stretches you and it helps you. Uh, but the concepts and everything that I believed in and um, they believed in. And I have gained some strong, I mean, the values of what they believe in, I have been constant in my life. And I won't say everyone, but the majority, because that's everywhere but the spiritual direction that I was going in, that full gospel will always be that foundation that I, that a part of that foundation that I have. But then when, um, and that's why I feel that with Bishop Bowens, what we're doing, it's going to be just awesome because we're standing on the values, the teachings of the word of God. And, and um, I just believe that that's where I'm supposed to be also. Amen. Amen. Great. Great. Thank you. Uh, Archbishop Slater, I'm going to come to you in a second because I'm not sure everybody who is on this clergy roundtable knows or are aware that your background is closely affiliated with much of what they're talking about. And I'm going to disclose that in just, in just a moment. But I want to go to uh, President and Pastor Hayward for a quick moment and revisit a point that you talked about. You talked about your credentials being um, recognized and that you enjoy reciprocity with the United Methodist Church. And I am assuming that that means because when you talk about such a relationship, we're not talking about them calling you Reverend and you calling them Reverend. I'm assuming that you're talking about having sacerdotal authority so that you can actually perform the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper in that setting and vice versa, that you can go into United Methodist Church and have all the rights and all of the privileges that is attended to you in the African Methodist Church is still available to you in the United Methodist Church. Now, I think, uh, so th the question I wanted to ask is does that, does that reciprocity also extend to the other black Methodist denominations, i.e. 
the CME Church, the AME Zion Church. It looked like somewhere I was reading where the United Methodist Church had a relationship either with the UCC Church or the Disciples of Christ or one of the other churches where they, uh, they, they jointly recognize each other's credentials. Can you give us clarity uh, in terms of what I'm talking about? Yes, yes, sir, Bishop, thank you. Um, what's interesting is, and what we found out was the United Methodist Church was lacking African-American pastors. And they were in the process of bringing congregations together. And um, how, how, how do we keep our, our, our African-American congregants when we have no African-American pastors? So there was a dialogue amongst the, the, the Methodist churches and especially the black Methodist churches where we are able to sit and dialogue and talk about the overwhelming numbers of pastors that we had and we had no church for them to pastor. So we, we developed an agreement with United Methodist Church and understand, yes, they had close ties with the, with the UCC, very strong ties. So we developed a relationship where our pastors can co-mingle and we would have reciprocity with, with both one, one of the key things was consecrating the elements for the Lord's Supper. In the AME Church, you cannot consecrate the elements until you have your, your itinerant elders' orders. And in itinerancy, we're able to move around. And uh, so that became a stable with the United Methodist Church as well, which gave us that ability to pastor uh, both churches. We have many AME pastors on loan to United Methodist Church. Some have been alone so long that they have no intentions of coming back to the AME Church. Hmm. So, so what's interesting with all these pieces is we have areas where the United Methodist Church in, in metropolitan areas have a congregation of African-American congregants and there's no African-American pastor. So the, with the AME Church, we have an overwhelming numbers of pastors that are sitting doing nothing and decided to go and to be on loan with the United Methodist Church. There has to be in an agreement with both bishops in order for you to be released. You just can't go, you have to get permission from both bishops who sign off on this. The, and so the intent is you are on loan from year to year. And if you wanna stay, you can stay longer. What's interesting is our polity is quite similar. And that's what made it easy for us to make this transition because our polity almost mirrors each other. Uh, the, the, the only difference is United Methodist Church, you're not, you're not a bishop for life, but in the AME Church you are. So we have this, this, this unity, this, this togetherness. I, I think it's a wonderful thing. The other difference is in the United Methodist Church, you retire at 65. In the AME Church, you retire at 75. But United Methodist Church will keep you on after 65 if there's a demand. And so often there is a, there is a demand their structure is quite similar, so it makes it easier for us to transition. So in the AME Church, you must have a Master's of Divinity degree to receive your last ordination. And the same thing in the United Methodist Church, you must have a Master of Divinity degree. And it's even better when you, you attend an AME school or a Methodist school. But if you have a mainline, if you have a degree from a mainline denomination, it's now accepted. For example, my degree, came from a uh, Lutheran denomination. And the reason why I went to the Lutheran church is because I love the stand that Martin Luther took and then I love swinging. I love how those, those two juxtaposed, two different personalities, same intent, but it reminded me of, of Richard Allen and Henry McNeil Turner on how they differed, where Turner was a Republican and was openly a Republican, where 98% of the Amy church is, is democratic society and he fought tremendously with the denomination, with his stand with the Republican Party. So when the Democrats came to power, uh, he had a very difficult time, but he was instrumental in the South when it came to Jim Crow laws and fighting against Jim Crow laws. So we found that the same thing was happening with the what he, he, he developed in Georgia between the AME Bishop and the United Methodist Bishop. So all these things came together to help this process. And how about the relationship with the other black, uh, black Methodist denomination, Andy Zion and the uh, CME Church? Is there reciprocity there? Uh, very little. The Amy Zion Church was birthed 
uh, about three years after the AME Church in New York. And uh, they, they actually had the same name, but they, they had to add on Zion because they understood that we were already established. The, the, we cannot go to the AME Zion Church and pastor, even though our, uh, we're so quite similar in our names and, and how we function and our structure with our presiding elders and our bishops, but there's still some things that are going on. It's not until the last eight years where the Black, the black Methodist Church have really come together and have taken a stand. Uh, they all are part of the, uh, the World Council of Churches. They all became a part of this in order for this thing to really happen. Great, great, great. Uh, Archbishop Slater, I want to go to you because your background and your history includes uh, Pilgrim Assemblies. And here's what few people know and uh, are even aware of. Uh, there is an assumption that Paul Morton was the first or the inventor of being a Baptist that was also a bishop. When the truth of the matter is that precedent had already been said. It had been said historically. Charles Davis out of Columbus, Ohio, uh, as far back as the early 1950s, was a Baptist that had taken on the title of uh, bishop. There was a Charles Gore who uh, began in Columbus, Ohio, uh, moved to St. Louis, uh, Christian Southern Church. He went out to Los Angeles, California. He was a Baptist that took on the title of bishop. And so in the case of Charles Davis, Charles Gore, that had already been said. But the the, the, the iconic figure or the more known figure to have done that in recent years that my generation and generations that have followed me would be aware of. They would not, they would not have known a Charles Davis. They would have not known a Charles Gore, but they certainly would have known a Roy Brown and Pilgrim Assemblies. And uh, it was Roy Brown, Pilgrim Assemblies, this Baptist who became a bishop. I actually attended his consecration and what few people know is that Paul Morton went to uh, Roy Brown and had a conversation with him. And Roy Brown had an immense and enormous impact and influence on the decision of Paul Morton to move in the direction of the Episcopacy within the Baptist Church. And you are a product of Roy Brown and Pilgrim Assemblies. And so there is an almost an invisible, an invisible tie between yourself and the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship, because if it hadn't been for Roy Brown and Pilgrim Assemblies, I would argue that the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship might look quite different than the way that it looks today. And I'm gonna give you the closing word on this because our hour has expired. You have the last word. Absolutely, Bishop, and I thank you for even mentioning that. I was listening to so much. And, and one of the things that was always made my heart glad, even being a part of the Joint College of African-American Pentecostal Bishops, and in the beginning, um, those same streams would come together. Paul S. Morton, uh, Archbishop Wilbur McKinley, um, Jesse Delano Ellis, uh, and, as well as Roy E. Brown. Those four strains came together in that, in that limousine to actually do some things. Um, I think Archbishop uh, Bernard Jordan was with, the, was on, with them as well. Uh, anyone was on the phone or had but the thought, the collective of thoughts that came at that day to just to begin to build and train bishops and, and come together with the mindset that we need something more than just a title. That's the, that should be resonating continually through the ages. And that's one of the things I think uh, Pastor Hayward talked about how we got top heavy and our minds were you know, always in. And now today, the, um, the titles are everywhere. They're looking for new titles. Now, you know, the latest that I've heard was the Pentecostal Cardinals. Well, we gonna touch that. But um, uh, I mean, but the whole essence of it, we are going nuts with titles, trying to find out who we are. Uh, and, and I think that this is definitely the sign that we as the body of Christ need to come together and begin to preach Jesus, to preach him crucified and risen. You know, and, and once we get to that understanding, and begin to understand that we are the ecclesia. We're the called out ones. We're the church. And then when we come up and grow up and understand we need each other, God will get the glory in the midst of everything that we're doing. Well, friends, there you have it. This is the weekly clergy roundtable. I am Andy C. Luda. I've been joined today by Archbishop Anthony Slater, Bishop Jeffrey Bowens, Bishop Helen Seenster, and Pastor Keith Hayward. And uh, we've been talking about our background, our history, our denominational affiliations, how it has impacted us, how it has influenced us, and what we perhaps even anticipate in terms of our future. Listen, 
tell a neighbor, tell a friend that around the nine o'clock hour on Tuesday mornings, we're here. We have a wonderful time. We invite and encourage your viewership. And we're so grateful and we're so delighted that you're here. So until next time, I do charge you to go in peace. I charge you to go in joy. I charge you to go in love and I charge you to go in happiness. God loves you. We love you. We look forward to seeing you because the author of Peace, Love, Joy, and Happiness goes with you. Amen.